Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome back into the Lions 24 7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. He is Sean Fitz, and we are. Coming to you kind of in a skewed schedule this week, of course, the breaking news podcast that we brought you on Tuesday early evening with the James Franklin contract news, that coverage all over the lines247.com, um, some VIP notes on that, and also some recruiting reaction. Sean and I spent about 15, 20 minutes on a quick podcast Tuesday with our instant reactions. Going to touch on that just a bit more here, but it is our final episode before Michigan uh, Michigan State hosts Penn State on Saturday. Uh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. This is personally my favorite holiday, uh, whether you're on the move or staying home. Hope you enjoy it, and, and we'll resurface with you Saturday in East Lansing, kickoff between Penn State at 7-4 and four and the Spartans at 9-2. and two. Number 12, Michigan State, but Sean, this is viewed by Las Vegas as a pick 'em, and that Monday podcast segment that we had with Stephen Brooks, who covers this Michigan State squad for twenty four seven Sports, that cast a lot of light on, on why this is one that the home squad is not getting the benefit of the doubt in this matchup. Stephen Stephen Brooks does a really good job covering Michigan State, and and I hope his fans let him back on their message board after for anybody that may have caught that because he was he was not exactly rosy when he was talking up the Spartans, who by the way are nine and two. Um, they've had an unbelievable season by the standard, but we talked about it with Steven, the, the adjustment for the expectations just kind of goes all over the place during the season. Um, you know, you, you would think nine and two, everybody'd be happy, but all of a sudden you, you lose that game last week and, uh, in convincing fashion to Ohio state. And there's, there's a lot of people not too, not too pleased. I I'm sure that the Mel Tucker extension has something to do with that, but very interesting. Cause we, we were here last week talking about Penn state going into Rutgers and we did not know what to expect because the flu situation, the illness situation was so fickle. We weren't sure, you know, we, we, we saw practice a week ago today and there were six, five or six guys missing. And by the time the game rolled around 20, some guys were under the, under the weather. So, um, a little more cut and dry with Michigan state. Cause there's no flu situation there, but the injury situation very prevalent in this game. And that's why you look at that line and you see Penn state favored and you think watching Penn state all year, why would Penn state be favored against a nine and two team? Even if the nine and two is a little bit hollow, um, but it, it, it's uh, it's going to show up or it, it could show up for a big way in the Spartans on Saturday. It's interesting you mentioned about adjusting expectations after all of a sudden you've surpassed them so much early in the season and, and where people may have been cautiously optimistic about the program here at Penn State, there with Michigan State, the direction. When you do what they did in September and early October, that caution goes away and you want to buy in. You want both feet on the bandwagon. You want to buckle up and enjoy the ride. You think it's going to be a special season. You always do when it's five and oh, six and oh, eight and oh, in Michigan State's case. And then, yeah, both fan bases, both coaching staffs, both locker rooms. How have they recalibrated here going into the final week of the regular season, the final Big Ten matchup for both of these teams? We'll see what lies ahead in the bowl game. Uh, but you do wonder uh, where they both are, and then you throw in the physical toll that has been taken on them the last few weeks. If, if one team doesn't show up today, or on Saturday, I should say, they could get boat raced, I think. I think you could see some team, if, if one team doesn't show up, I don't think both are going to fall that way. And, and I think you could see this turn into a really surprising blowout. 
we've seen that in this series before. A couple of years ago, Michigan State ran Penn State out of the stadium. Then Penn State returned serve the next year, and um, you know they haven't exactly been been shoot them out close games um, or anything like that. But it's it's really interesting because getting ahead of schedule is great. Getting ahead of schedule faster than anticipated can sometimes come back to bite you. I mean, we saw that with Penn State winning the 2016 Big Ten title. Yeah. That was awesome. But at the same time, the expectations went from seven and six, seven and six Big Ten title. Uh, I mean, that's such a huge jump. And then you see that the next couple of years. And then, of course, you get to a, a season like 2018 where you go to the Citrus Bowl, you win nine games and it's seen as a failure. And 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 then you kind of set the standard for yourself. Not saying those things are not great. The Big Ten championship, the Rose Bowl year in 2016, the, the Fiesta Bowl year, the following year. Um, obviously awesome for the program. But when you make that jump that fast, those expectations change and they go up a lot faster than they come down. And you see it with big time programs. They have been kind of flash in the pan moments where they go LSU a couple of years ago, they won a national championship. What does that do for the way everyone thinks LSU should be doing? I, I know it's in varying degrees, but it, it, it's really interesting when you try to measure something up against, you know, five years ago, you had a surprise season in Michigan state's case, they went to the college football playoff. Not many teams have done that out of the big 10. It's Ohio state, Ohio state, Ohio state, Michigan state had that opportunity. They got pancaked in the first round, but they're not that far removed. And yet it seems like from that playoff appearance to where they are now, there's been such a chasm for the Spartans program. Penn State's won a couple in a row against them. They've also lost some very tough games and seasons that otherwise uh, could have maybe gained a lot more out of those years because uh, what do you make of, of this version of, of, of Penn State versus Michigan State? Because it feels like the, the identity is so different than where it was just even last year. Yeah, and and going back to what you said there, um, they they went uh, what eleven and two, or eleven and three, and then seven and six, and then thirteen and one. So they were all over the map as well. Mm -hmm. The big one was twenty fifteen. They went twelve and two, lost in the Cotton Bowl, then went three and nine the next season, back to ten and three the following season. So they've been up and down and up and down, and all that was under Mark D'Antonio, of course. Two and five last year, nine and two this year. A heck of a turnaround for Mel Tucker. Um, but man, that's. Uh, that's really just kind of all over the map. Now this team, um, you know, you look at what uh, what Penn State does well. You look at what Michigan State does well, and and typically, if you're playing this team, this Michigan State team in October, the way that they were playing, that would have been spelled bad things for Penn State. But you're missing two receivers. You're missing potentially the best running back in the country. That could make a bit of a difference there. So I, I, it's it's really hard to say, really hard to put your finger on where Michigan State's going to be because if, if those guys are out and you're making Peyton Thorne come out and try and beat you, you all of a sudden feel pretty good about your chances, even though you're traveling to East Lansing in November, which is never fun for anybody. Before we talk Michigan State versus Penn State and, and give our predictions on this one, um, James Franklin's contract, this is Mel, Mel Tucker on the other side of the equation here. We, we know what happened after that leaked with his with his situation. Nothing formal there. James Franklin has a formal announcement. So there's official PDFs, and you can scroll through a bunch of numbers. Right now, nothing has been officially released with Mel Tucker and his contract extension, but that is still the anticipation. Do you have any thoughts about what happened on Tuesday now that we've gathered a little more information and kind of had a chance to digest what exactly transpired between Penn State and James Franklin? Because all of a sudden, after that roller coaster ride, for the last couple of months of wondering what was going to happen here. Like we came to a hard break in the middle of this last game week. Yeah, we did. Well, I, I will say <laughs> it was not as hard of a break as Michigan state last week when you leak that contract. And then all of a sudden you go out and get, and get blasted by Ohio state. 
yeah, taking a closer look at it. And, and yesterday, as you could tell, we were kind of thinking on the fly and that's not really our specialty here, but, uh, you know, got some thoughts together, put them up on the board. Um, the, the things that jumped out at you, uh, the buyout, um, you know, you, you look at how that one was, was structured and that's a Jimmy Sexton special right there. You look at what, um, Jimbo Fisher has at, at Texas A&M. It's kind of the similar situation where if Penn state would to fire James Franklin, you go compensation times years. And oftentimes those years don't matter, but you play into fact, you say, if you want to fire him after five years or five years, then you've still got five years left to pay. That's a multiple there. And that's going to run up your, uh, your buyout. Um, but you know, this is, this is a, a commitment for Penn state. I mean, this is going all in on one guy, basically. Um, you know, I, I'm a little bit surprised by it, to be honest with you, just based off of how things have bounced back and forth. But um, that's that's them. And and by them, I mean, Baron and Bar and Sandy Barber, two people that aren't going to be here in two or three years. Um, that's uh, that's a very interesting uh, subplot to that. So they've they've committed to Franklin. They've committed to the program. Um, those things that he outlined in his statement, talking about the, uh, you know, the facilities, the uh, uh, name, image and likeness and things like that. Um, definitely necessary. Um, but I, I was kind of surprised with when you take a look at the numbers, you take a look at the buyout, it's not going to penalize James Franklin all that much if he wants to leave for another job in four or five years. But if it, if the shoe's on the other foot and Penn State feels they have to get rid of him, that's a, that's a pretty one-sided deal. But uh, all in all, I mean, you, we, we can look at the negative there, but you can also look at the positive that they've um, made a commitment to taking the next step. I mean, that's, that's kind of been the uh, the, the viewpoint here is Penn state had a choice to make in terms of, could it keep up with the big boys in college football and they have drugged their feet for a while. Let's be honest here. And that, and that's really something that, uh, you know, can be eventually added, but the, the slower or the more you drag your feet, the more you're going to get left behind there. And I think that that's really kind of a putting, putting the foot in the ground and getting up field is, is, is the way that I would put it in football terminology and Penn state did a good job here. And I don't know the finances. I don't know where the money's, actually going to come from um but of committing to that and and moving forward because whether it's james franklin or another guy i mean it, this this arms race is not going anywhere anytime soon in college football and you look at the teams that are in the playoff and and they've done a really nice job of committing to um being a winner and that's uh, that's really what you, you come away thinking about this contract and to me i think just like it's been two years since the last contract i feel like in two years from now you're reassessing this thing both sides of the coin if penn state takes off and gets where franklin wants to be then he, he's he's got another conversation an, to have and that's yeah <laughs> yeah it's not an issue and uh and and look and the other the other side of it is if penn state is doesn't shake off this 11 and 9 kind of stretch here and it, it, they don't emerge from this the way that you think they should then it gets it's a lot more difficult for the other side of this equation to 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 make some sort of, of proactive move you hope that they don't get there the other thing here to me is i i think you know again i think people are well versed i'm not an i'm not an alum of this university i don't have the roots here but i think it's easy to pick up on that there have been some really important members of the community who tend to write large checks that have maybe been holding out for the next guy and wondering when that was going to happen. And was it going to happen in 2017 and maybe 2019? And now the team's not playing as well. Would it happen maybe after this year? And it didn't. Instead, you see this big number. And whether you want to buy into 10 years or not, that's the number that's showing up on every news outlet. 10-year deal for James Franklin. And you see all that guaranteed cash involved. And you see the leverage he holds in this. What's the, their move now? And, and I'd imagine a lot of these people... They don't think they have 10 years to waste as a diehard Penn State football supporter. 
what's their move to react to this? And I think that's the compelling question as Penn State tries to make up ground in that arms race across the conference and across the Power Five landscape. Yeah, I, I don't have an answer for that. I don't have that kind of money, so I'm not sure where no, those people are making no. this decision. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting dynamic to it because they're so. I mean, obviously, at at six and four, coming off of a four and five year, and it, as we've mentioned every time, 2020, you can take that for what it's worth. But still, six and four coming up short in in certain games. I think there's a a legitimate uh, air of criticism there. I think I don't know that this one was. Um, you know, a slam dunk for the national media or, or anybody else in the Big Ten covering uh, other programs or things like that. There's kind of questions. But I mean, at the end of the day, you look at those numbers. It's not. a, And I hate saying this because it's a ton of money, not a huge raise. I mean, it's not like he went from making six million to making 10 million. I mean, you're looking at a eight hundred thousand dollar raise, which is all. I mean, we would both. Do on speaking for an eight hundred thousand but, but, but yeah. with James, you don't have to. You don't read between the lines anymore. In the last few months, really, it's become very apparent. It's not about that direct deposit hitting every couple of weeks. It's about the foundation underneath his feet and what he's feeling on campus and what's going on. I mean, name in yeah. the NIL process now, the the facilities arms race, the the coaching stuff. To me, I think a lot of people want to focus on the contract, and that's that's all well and good. And the raise might not be there, but. What were those closed door meetings? What is about to get pen to paper and get moving? And by the way, we hope to, to kind of delve into that a lot more next week with a guest who has a really good footing on the entire situation and has really tracked it along the way. Um, hope to have that for you next week. But if we're not careful, Sean, we're going to end up doing another James Franklin episode about this contract. So if you missed last time, a little more knee-jerk reaction uh, to, to everything on Tuesday. Check that out, our, our most recent episode. But back here at Penn State, we did hear from James Franklin on Tuesday about things that you know weren't involving the contract in, in 2022. Right now, the flu continues to work its way out of the locker room, but it's not quite out yet, Sean. Uh, James Franklin saying it's a kind of a three-day deal that would lead you to believe that everyone who missed last Saturday should be in pretty good shape. We're going to get a look at, at practice here in about an hour or so. But uh, Sean Clifford confirmed to be back at practice. Mike Miranda, Curtis Jacobs as well, according to James Franklin, were going to be a go on Tuesday. Miranda to me is interesting because that involved an injury against Michigan. But Curtis Jacobs back at, at Sam Linebacker. And, and there was the question that needed to be asked, what's the plan after what Christian Bayou did for three quarters of, of, of work against Rutgers? Matched up with Sean Clifford approaching his 32nd career start. And it is Sean Clifford as the one, Christian Bayou as the two. And if they plan to incorporate Christian as part of this game plan, we're not going to find out before kickoff. I can guarantee you that. Yeah. And that's the unfortunate thing about this episode is we usually have Wednesday night practice. Thursday's our preview episode. Today, we're recording on a Wednesday afternoon. We go to practice in about a half hour or so. So uh, check the site for any sort of updates that might counteract, uh, just uh, completely say everything that we say right now, <laughs> just turn it on its head. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you hope that flu has worked its way out. Um, you, you, you hope everybody's uh, you know healthy and in the right direction there. As you mentioned, guys like Jacobs, I think that would be big. Um, you don't know what Michigan State's offense is going to look like with their injuries, but you want to have your best guys out there. I think Curtis Jacobs has played excellent um, over the last month and a half of the season. So having him out there instead of Jonathan Sutherland, no disrespect to Sutherland, but there's definitely a difference there. Um, special teams guys, Johnny Dixon, A.J. Litton, uh, maybe get Tyler Elston, who, who I think James Franklin said was throwing up the other day, and that's caused the chain reaction with Curtis Jacobs to throw up. So um, just 
getting the middle part of your roster back is so important. And we talk about the stars. We talk about, you know, the guys that have the ball in their hand all the time, Clifford and Dotson and these guys, but getting the middle part of your roster back, especially in a game where Michigan state has a huge middle part of their roster. I mean, they've got some stars at the top, but that's a workman like program with, with, with a, uh, a nucleus that's workman like players. Um, so you got to fill out the middle of your roster, get those guys healthy and, and back in the game. Some guys uh, we'll be keeping tabs on, Rasheed Walker, uh, Caden Wallace, uh, John Levitt, Devin Ford, John Dixon, A.J. Litton, Tyler Elson, as you said. Um, just some guys that weren't available last week we think will be back. And, and look for those notes up online, 247.com. Um, it wasn't just Christian Veyu getting some love from the coaching staff. He was named the offensive player of the game versus Rutgers by Penn State's coaches. Um, also a strong heap of praise coming from James Franklin for Landon Tengwall and what he did over at left tackle entering the game when Bryce Effner went to right tackle and Caden Wallace was sidelined early. Wallace tried to give it a go. He was flewed up as well, and, and he ended up on the sideline the rest of the way. Tengwa played a lot of left tackle, uh, but James Franklin says, while they were very, very pleased uh, and, and, and impressed with his performance, that's the quote there, um, also see him playing guard and maybe center. Uh, potentially in his Penn State career, so kind of matching what we've what we've talked about all along with Tengwall and uh, tip of the cap from the head coach is always a good thing after your first college appearance. Would love to see him be Barrett Jones and play center and and just solidify things. But the way that Penn State has been at tackle in the last couple of years, I don't I don't see a situation where they're going to have to put him in that role and 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 have him thrive. But he's a guy that can come in play all five. Um, you know, you I, I'd probably rather have him at guard, but. He's good enough and serviceable at tackle, and and for his first game, excellent, excellent job for the young men. Well, let's get into this matchup. We have a few roster notes at the end of the show here, along with our predictions. But um, going into this matchup, how about we start at the offensive line? Um, because, look, Landon Tengwall impressed, but if Rasheed Walker is back and Caden Wallace is back, um, and, and we don't know uh, about the situation with Miranda from an injury perspective, I'm still very curious there. You know, do you reshuffle things again or do you let Juice Scruggs stick at center? Um, you know, do, do you make sure you get playing time for Bryce Eppner and Landon Tangwall? We don't know about Olufashano's uh, availability, but there's about six, seven guys now involved here. They seem to like the way Anthony Wigan played last week. Look, there's not a lot of benefit of the doubt from games one through 10, and, and that was pretty much the starting lineup we're talking about here. And so I think people were kind of, you know, intrigued at least to see some other guys out there and uh, some forward momentum with the freshman QB behind them. Yeah, when you get those young guys out there, the unknowns, you you start to feel better because you, you give them a little bit more slack. And obviously, Penn State, as you said, the offensive line has not earned the benefit of the doubt this year. So um, really interesting to see those guys, uh, see where Efner fits in. Tangwall is the intriguing one to me um, because you got to figure out what you're doing next year at tackle. And does that mean Tangwall and Wallace or Fashanu and Wallace or Fashanu and Tangwall? I mean, you've, you've got a couple different opportunities there. And then Efner, of course, can come back as well. Um, so I, I, I don't know, man, it's, uh, it, it's a tough one. And then you move on to the interior. I kind of like rolling with juice scrubs there and seeing what Mike Miranda, I mean, Mike Miranda was an all big 10 guard, um, last season. Uh, I mean, criticize what you will, but that was the coaches that said that. So it's not exactly like us idiots in the media uh, talking about it. So, um, you, you really think that maybe that's the way to go, not just for this week, but for the future as well. If Mike Miranda is able to go, obviously left the, left the game two weeks ago, um, injured against Michigan. So 
I don't know, man. I, it's it's that same offensive line. I, you know, you 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 feel good about the performance they put forth against Rutgers, but Rutgers is 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 Rutgers. They're a five and six football team, and Michigan State's a nine and two football team. Uh, Jacob Panasuk is 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 a really good player on that defensive line, and and you know they've got some. Uh, Mel Tucker's a really good defensive coach, so you've got uh, you know you're, you're facing another level challenge this week, I think. And now that you've complimented Mel Tucker for his defensive pedigree, I remind everyone Michigan State ranks dead last in the FBS right now in passing yards allowed per game. Mm -hmm. And this happens to be a Penn State squad that say what you will about the ups and downs to this offense. When Sean Clifford is, let's say, 75% or better, they can get the ball downfield through the air. Yeah, that's uh, that's the goal this week. I think you got Dotson, um, you got those other guys that have, have started to come around. Saw the big play from Malik Mega last week, so you've got an opportunity to hit big plays. And that's, I mean, if you watch that Ohio State Michigan State game, I mean, they just no mercy from that passing game. And if you can get a shred of that from Penn State this week, you're starting to feel pretty good about your chances. I mean, this is one. Coming out of last week, I think you and I both were like, you know, you can chalk this up as a loss eventually and and see what happens. But you, you take a closer look at those deep numbers. And Michigan State secondary, very exploitable. They're banged up as well. Everybody's banged up right now, but they're banged up as well. And you've got an opportunity to to, to actually put some points on the board with some splash plays. I don't know that the running game is going to help you or do anything more than it's done all season. But you've seen the passing game. You saw what Jahan Dotson did last time he went on the road. Um, and you know, if you can play that over to the next, uh, the next one, regardless of who's throwing the football, yeah, you start to feel pretty decent about, uh, putting some yards and possibly some points up. Splash plays is what it was all about for Jahan Dotson, the final stretch of last season. And Michigan state was, was caught up in that along the way He had a punt return for a touchdown. He had a, a long reception for a touchdown. Um, this to me, it sets up as a very nice final stage for him to take a bow for his big 10 career. Um, I think we all would have liked to have seen Jahan Dotson involved in some bigger late season matchups here the last couple of years as a star performer for Penn State. But he has done everything he possibly could to put Penn State in a situation to be in those kind of marquee matchups here. Um, you know, I think this is assuming he is not triple covered on every play. And maybe that's the approach for a Michigan State defensive backfield that is down and out. But I, I see maybe maybe he could get 200 again. He, he may just do it. I mean, it's possible. I mean, the, the other thing is you saw Parker Washington step up last week, right. and those guys are starting to make some of those plays. And if you can get that, Tyler Warren did the same thing. If you can get yep. that out of him. I mean, Penn State's offense is not good, um, but Penn State's passing game is is what they lean on heavily. Michigan State's passing defense is also not good. So you're going strength against weakness there. And then on the other side, your defense is your strength, obviously, if you're Penn State. And then if you're, if you're without those top two receivers and that running back, your offense is not as good as it's been. So, I mean, just looking at the most basic of matchups, things favor Penn State more than you would think. Yeah, very much so. And it's it's a blended sample size of different quarterbacks. But to me, it feels like all of a sudden you've got some new weapons. Malik Mega coming on strong. We had him on immediate availability this week. A uh, kid who's really flashed clearly last week. And then I think that tight end room, although Brenton Strange has kind of fallen to the background in terms of production, that tight end room as a whole has been coming up with bigger plays on a more consistent basis, it feels like, in the passing game. So coming up to this matchup, you think, okay, well, what's Michigan's counterpunch? Because it feels like Penn State has an opportunity to put up 30-plus, and that it hasn't happened for them a bunch here this year. They don't have a lot of counterpunches right now. You think the perimeter, they're down wide receivers. Kenneth Walker it doesn't sound optimistic right now about his availability. Stephen Brooks gave us a very dark and cloudy situation in East Lansing with his breakdown on Monday, if you missed it. 
it did not sound good. And he said it without Walker. This is at best a 500 team for Michigan State. And I, I wouldn't make that statement myself because I haven't covered them every week. He has. And if they're without Walker or they're they're getting a, a very limited version of him and they're already down wide receiver talent, and I'm a big Jalen Naylor fan, good luck because this Penn State defense has not been a problem really all season. Yeah, those those receivers are big play guys. I mean, studs mm-hmm. that come out in big games. You saw them against Michigan as well, make contested catches and things like that. And against the secondary, you need to make contested catches. So, I mean, you can't understate those losses if they are indeed losses. And then you could get out there on, on Saturday and maybe they get one or two of those guys back and it could change some things. But kind of like what we were saying last week with Penn State, you're not sure what's going to show up, not in the sense that you don't know how the game's going to go, but you just don't know the personnel. Yeah, and, and just looking at the stats here, I know Ohio State shreds everybody these days, but 650-plus yards against Michigan State last Saturday, 36 first downs, and then a couple weeks earlier in Michigan State's first loss of the season against Purdue, Boilermakers had nearly 600 total yards and 29 first downs. So if you want to feel good about this offense and Mike Yersich in the quarterback position and all the weapons and these young guys, this might be a nice game to go out on in the Big Ten schedule to talk about here for the next two weeks in the bowl game. And by the way, if it doesn't come together for the passing game in this matchup, then that's going to be a different kind of conversation for us. And you'll be really curious to see how they handle things if Sean Clifford comes out and he's a little erratic or if he looks a little limited. What is the plan for James Franklin? Because this time around, I'm going to assume Sean Frank, uh, Sean Clifford isn't puking in the locker room beforehand or an IV drip before the game. So this, to me, would be a performance-based decision. And it also could be tied into where he is from a health standpoint, of course. But very curious to see how far it would go into this matchup if it's kind of a, hey, is Penn State going to make its offensive move? And if that turning point doesn't come, let's say, by the late second quarter, how much is that in a conversation for the coaching staff? Yeah, you know James Franklin doesn't want it to, to turn to the true freshman, but at the same time, he saw enough from him last week where that's a legitimate possibility um, to to throw him in there for a series or two and see what can get going. I mean, it's it's all going to depend on Clifford. I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt to be out there. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, obviously, last week was was just completely. You know, you, he, he's been he's been banged up, sure, but then you throw the flu on top of that, and there's really no reason that he should have been out there um, if he was as bad as as they uh, have have made it out to be. So. I, I agree. You've got a little bit more flexibility now if you're James Franklin to go out and, and maybe take a chance. It's the end of the season. You're not playing for a uh, a Rose Bowl bid or anything like that. So you've got an opportunity to to get some valuable reps. And I know that we've, we've said that those reps are overstated sometimes, but if you can get them where you need them, uh, as opposed to turning around and handing the ball off three or four times, I mean, you, 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 should, you can take them. Could be the final Big Ten start for Sean Clifford, um, who, by the way, other seniors invited the Senior Bowl this week. Uh, Tariq Castro-Fields, his second time getting that invitation. Um, and then also Jahan Dotson getting invited. Uh, quite the roster presence there. Sean, it's time super, for Super Senior Bowl for Castro-Fields super and this year. Yeah. Um, prediction time. This is a, a series that they have played 35 times, and no one has an advantage. It's 17-17-1. and one. Michigan State, Penn State, I think we have both come a long way in our perception of this matchup since, let's say, last Wednesday. Yeah, I had it as a loss last week, and then you kind of break down and look at those deeper numbers, and all of a sudden you start feeling okay about it. I I don't like to start as a loss and then eventually turn it over to a win, but I'm going to do that this week just because I don't know um, that if Michigan State is without those receivers, without uh, Walker, you, you really – have a different football team. So I've got Penn State winning 23-17, excuse me, 23-17. Um, I don't know 
that the point I, I have no idea where the points are going to be because <laughs> y- you have more points and I'm like, hey, I can make an argument for that for that. And then I can make an argument for a low scoring game on Penn State's end because that's been the rest of the season for Penn State. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have 23 to 17, not ultimately confident in that because the unknowns with the the flu situation, the injury situation, a lot going into that. Plus you're playing on the road. Um, I haven't even looked at the weather because it's early in the week. Um, East Lansing is never fun in, in November, though. So um, this is a game where you have to score touchdowns. And I know my my uh, my score isn't necessarily indicative of that with, with 23 points for Penn State, but it can't be Michigan where you get in the red zone and you feel the need to kick a field goal or fake a field goal or something like that. You have to finish those drives because if you do that, and you, and you said this earlier, if you do that, you have an opportunity to to make this a snowball-type game. For the first two-thirds of the season, both of these defenses weren't giving up a lot in the red zone. That has changed for Michigan State. They're giving up a bunch in the red zone. Penn State's still not. I think that's a factor in this game. Uh, man, I'm almost talking myself into a wider margin. I could see Penn State, if the, if it's as bad as it looks like it might be from an injury perspective, I could see Penn State winning by more. But I'll stick with what I wrote down. 31-20, Nittany Lions win this one. And, and how about a couple local guys? Theo Johnson just across the way, across the border, uh, comes up with, with a, a splash play uh, or two for Penn State, adds to the highlight reel and, and gives people a reason to get excited about him even more. And then I think Kaitlin King comes down with an interception on the road. And I think that would be nice. I don't think James Franklin would mind making a little bit of a statement there with some of his Detroit guys. They've been on the field a lot, especially with this freshman class. So I'll call my shot there. Kaitlin King comes down with the pick. Uh, Penn State wins 31 to 20. And now that I think about it, if Walker's not involved at all, I could see more like 31 13. I just feel big momentum here going the wrong way for Michigan State. And I think I think they will respond to this James Franklin contract. I, I think there'll be some kind of an emotional response this week on the practice field, and it has to calm some nerves, uh, especially for some of the younger players on this team. So stay what you will, but Penn State a little more stable than they've been in the last few weeks. Michigan State far from that, and I think that adds up to a scenario where they're the better team on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, you're going to pick your players and try to pull the upset here, but I'm just going to go with Jahan Dotson because, you know, he's that Jahan guy. Dotson. So I <laughs> yeah. think that's a pretty pretty safe pick and a, and a good one, another good one this week, just like it was against Maryland. By the way, transfer portal season just around the corner. Tyler Rudolph entered it today, um, but we saw this coming a mile away. Yeah, this is one that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. So we did not expect him to factor in moving forward either this year or beyond. Um, so he's, he hasn't been with the team since, I think, late September, early October, whatever. I think the 25th was the the Villanova game was the last game that he played in uh, for Penn State. And then that was the last time that we saw him at all. So four games, um, you know, he's he, he's moving on. I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, it's a mutual decision. Penn State was kind of uh, I don't want to say pushed him out the door but that's that's kind of how this one this one went down and if you weren't following 24-7 sports and lines 24-7 last winter transfer portal coverage is at a different level than you could even imagine it is right up there with the final push of signing day and you're willing to catch all that we have a 75 percent special right now black friday cyber monday tag that um and and check that out um good time to hop on because we got a huge network and there's a lot going on with the transfer portal that we can tap into that you just never know where it's going to come from temple baylor saw it last year where will it come from sean saturday i'll talk to you then enjoy thanksgiving lance i hope you're listening still hope you're not asleep hope you enjoy thanksgiving and same goes to all of our listeners out there i'm tyler donahue this has been the Lions 24-7 podcast. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there-
there anyone stronger? No. Tougher. No. Funnier. I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!